You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Good morning. I'm glad to see all of you here on this uh, extended weekend for some of you. We're going to turn our attention now to Ezra 7.10. So if you have your Bible and you want to make your way there, uh, it, some of you probably have this verse memorized as much as it's been brought up here at this church in the past. It's on page 412 if you're using one of those Bibles somewhere near you. Ezra 7.10, and I believe it'll be up on the screen as well. One verse today, as we're looking in our series through uh, putting on Christ, what it looks like to be a Christian and put Christ on, uh, that's coming out of Romans. This verse, I think, really is what we're going to round it out with before we return back to the book of Romans next week. Ezra 7.10 says, Now Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at what your word has for us, as we put on Christ, as we make these kinds of commitments, as we come to understand them, Lord, help us to have the strength and the courage, despite the difficulties this might bring, despite the challenges. And Lord, let us also enjoy the fruit of a life like this. Lord, that we can follow suit in knowing you and drawing close to you and obeying you and, and Lord, proclaiming your good news. Lord, help me to preach this word well. Lord, help us to hear it well. God, move us and stir us like you did with Ezra. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God's people are always called to love and glorify God and to serve him by loving others and to proclaim his truth and to make disciples who are people who love God and follow God and obey God. We're always called to do this. This is always the job of the Christian. It's always the task of the Christian. However, I think it's fair to say that some seasons are a bit more challenging than others, sometimes much more challenging than others. And I think, I think as, a, as a community, maybe as a nation, maybe it's this way throughout the world, I think we're, we're in a tough season right now. It's, it's a tough season to be a faithful Christian, walking in this journey, doing the things that we've been called to. And if we're not in a tough season, we're definitely entering a tough season. Would you agree? Does this seem like a tough time? Ezra was in a tough season. Ezra was in a really tough season. He was a a Hebrew. He was likely, most likely, born in Babylon, a non-Hebrew people who had conquered the Jewish people. He might have been born before King Cyrus had decreed that Jewish people could go home and rebuild their temples. He might have, but I don't think that's the case. He would have been really old as we see what happened. Um, Because the Jewish people were told in 538 BC they could go home, but not all of them did immediately. So I think Ezra was there, and he was studying the word of the Lord there. It was in Babylon where he studied God's word and where he became, as Ezra 7, 6 says, a skilled scribe of the law of Moses. So he was a, he was a stranger in a strange land, and it probably was a difficult time, but he could have remained there in what he knew and what he was comfortable with and probably what would have been much easier for him. He could have just stayed there, smooth sailing, stay the course, Just walk through that the rest of his life. And some of you were saying, wait a minute, I thought Babylon was this thing of captivity. How are you saying that that staying in Babylon instead of going to the promised land would have been easier? 
How would that have been easier than going to Jerusalem? I say that because it's often very easy to blame ungodly, oppressive leaders and people for our shortcomings in following and obeying God. Well, I would do this, but you know, these people won't let me, or this problem, or that problem. It's really easy to sort of just push all that off when the buck doesn't stop with us in our walk. And we we make excuses, right? It's easy to Monday morning quarterback the whole thing. It would have been easy for Ezra to do that. We'll get serious about this, God, when you change the circumstances, when you give us a new leader, when you give us, you know, a better economy, when you, uh, when you make my life better. I'll serve more when I have, you know, more time, but for now, these ungodly people are taking up my time. I'll give more when I have more finances, but for now, these ungodly people have caused all this inflation. It's easy to push away from our responsibilities and blame ungodly people. But Ezra set his heart to study and know God's law and obey it and teach its statutes, specifically, it says, in Israel. He set himself to that task. He was already doing that in Babylon. He was already living that life. But now God was calling him to Jerusalem, where it was going to be harder. And Ezra answered the call. He went. We believe at Redeeming Life Church here. We believe that we exist Specifically, this church exists to know, to live, and to proclaim the Word of God. That's kind of the the mission of our church here. To know Him, to live that out what we know, and to proclaim the Word of God. I always often go back to this verse. This is where this comes from, Ezra 7.10. And people will say, well, do do we think we're like Ezra? Are, are Are we like him, this this maybe scribe, this teacher, this leader. Yeah. We're like Ezra. All the members here, not just the pastor. Isn't the, a pastor can do that, sure. But all of us? Yep. All of us. All of us are like Ezra. Because of what Jesus has done by his new covenant in us, we are all like Ezra in one way or another. All of us. If you're a Christian and you've put on Christ, you too should determine in your heart to study God's word and to obey it and to teach it and proclaim it to others. We should all be doing what we see Ezra doing in here. And like what I saw, the brother is going to be baptized praying for in the prayer. And we, there's a group of people that are praying before the service, and I would encourage you to go over there if you need prayer. Or if you just want to pray before the service starts, go over there. They'll pray with you, and you can pray with them. Brother said, I I just want to follow Jesus in this way all my life. As Christians, we should do that. Ezra was a scribe and he was a teacher of the law. And in a way, he was like a priest, technically speaking. He probably wasn't a priest, but he was like a priest. So how are we like Ezra in that way? How, How are we like him? How are all of us as Christians priests? Here's how. In 1 Peter... Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, the apostle Peter wrote to the Christians, saying, as you come to him, God, as you come to God, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Yeah, but don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that just coming to this church building, hanging around 
Christian people doing Christian-y type things is what it means to come to God. That's not it. That's not what it means. John writes in chapter 6 and verse 44, he says, Jesus says this very clear statement. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Right? So, so the Father has to draw. He can't just go, ah, I'm just going to show up and fulfill these verses by just dropping into a church building. No, the Father has to draw you. And when the Father draws a person, it's as if there's this sort of unexplainable, irresistible pull that brings a person somehow into contact with the message of God. I remember that happening in my life. Did it happen in your life? He's like, I don't know why I'm interested in this. I'm not a Christian, and yet I'm starting to grow very interested in what God has to say. God was drawing me. Maybe you're in here, and you are a guest, and you have no idea why you're here. You're not a Christian, but you just kind of think, you know, the world's not providing it for me. I don't have the answer. Maybe there's something here. God is drawing you here. Maybe. Maybe God is drawing you. And when that happens, suddenly... Maybe you've heard the gospel over and over and over again. You've rejected it every time, but all of a sudden it's like you see it fresh, like you've never seen it before. All of a sudden it's like you have new eyes and go, how did I not catch that before? I didn't see it before. My friends don't see it, but now I can't not see it. I can't unsee what I see. How is that possible? It's because the Father's drawing you. He's bringing you in. He's he's drawing you to himself. That's how we come to God. The Father draws us, and he does a work in us, and he's changing us. And when the Father draws a person... Then Revelation 1, 5 through 6 starts to stir in our hearts. That verse becomes a reality in us, and it also becomes a cry of our heart, and it becomes our praise. We want to praise Jesus. This is what the verse says. To him, Jesus, who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood, and then hear this, and made us a kingdom, priests, to his God the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We become this worshiping band of priests, a kingdom of priests, because Christ has saved us. The theological term for what I'm talking about is the the priesthood of the believer. That's the big term for it. The priesthood of the believer. That's a serious doctrine in the church. It's a big deal. Here's what it is. The doctrine of the priesthood of believers is that every believer has direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ and is therefore a priest in a sense of being able to serve God and serve others, offering spiritual sacrifices and praises. They're unhindered to to come before the Lord. This means that every Christian has the responsibility and the privilege, I hope it's a privilege, to represent God in the world and to the world. You're all ambassadors, you're all priests, you're all servants of the Most High God if you're a Christian. And you have the responsibility, and I pray, privilege of serving the body of Christ. To serve one another. As a a priest, you're serving one another. And you have the responsibility and the privilege of proclaiming the good news into a world that seems so void of any good news. You get to proclaim hope. God has entrusted that to you and to me if we're part of this priesthood of believers. If you're a Christian, you are a priest or priestess. That's what you are. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and he's calling all the shots in his life and he's bought you with his death, like he died in your place for your sins, 
Now means that you're a living sacrifice for him, serving him. That's what it means to be a Christian. So you're a priest, just like Ezra. Right? The, the rose from the grave Savior has done this mighty work in us so that Revelation 1, 5 through 6, is causing us to serve him as he says so. So just like Ezra in that difficult season, and what he was dealing with, Christians need to set their heart to know and to live and to proclaim God's word in this difficult season. If you're wondering how we get through all this, it's that way. Set yourself on the Lord. And not just in the difficult seasons, in the good seasons. But that's the pathway through the crazy that you see every day when you wake up in the morning. To set yourself on Christ. To know him, to live him, to, to proclaim his word. And, and from the point where we just read this in, in Ezra 7.10, when Ezra has set himself to this task, to this charge, I will know the Lord, and I will obey the Lord, and I will proclaim his truth. When he set himself to do that, you know what happens? If you start reading from there forward, suddenly he has some hard lines he has to draw. It's not smooth sailing for Ezra any longer. He has some major things he has to do to reform his heart and to reform the hearts of the people. And it's hard stuff. It's tough. It's tough. And the same will happen to us. If we set our hearts to these things, we too will have hard lines we might have to draw in our own lives. Major decisions we'll have to make if we're really going to do this. I pray that this will be true of us. I pray that this will be true of us. Because I know we can be serious about things. I know we can set our heart to things. Some of us have really set our heart to some things. And we're really capable of being real serious about some stuff. Some of us have set our heart to having a certain size retirement fund or a certain size salary, certain career trajectory, so we can make a certain amount of money for a certain kind of lifestyle because we've set our heart on the religion of finances, right? with various financial gurus as our priests and guides. And so we are very focused on that. I know we can set our heart on things. Some of us have set our heart on money. Others of us have maybe set our heart on politics. Right? It's where our hope lies. It's where our comfort lies. We're constantly paying attention. We think that the, maybe, the, maybe the hope of the next politician will be where it's at, so I'm going to give him my affections, my heart, my drive. Or maybe we've set our heart to hate the current one. Right? We'll just hate the current politicians, and that's where I'm, all my thoughts and all my energy and all my worship is going to go to one of those things. Right? We've set our heart on politics. Or some of us have uh, set our heart on checking out with entertainment, with all that stuff that comes streaming into our home so easily. I'm just going to put my feet up, and I'm going to keg up here in my house. I'm going to just, that's it, I'm out. I'm checking out. COVID really helped bring this to light in most of us. I have to be careful with this one. I think this could be really an easy one for me, especially at this time of year, because college football is underway. I tell everybody, I'm not a sports guy at all. But I don't know, for whatever reason, when college football comes in to play, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at the apps, and I'm looking at the different teams, and I'm watching the rankings, and I'm like, well, I'm speculating if these guys win over here, and this happens, and then this happens, and are the coaches going to drop the pole to this, and is this going to happen, and who's going to make it in the playoffs, and I don't know what, I don't know why I was so enthralled with the, the whole Pac-12 
12 disintegration. And I'm like, why is this consuming so much of my interest and my time? Right? I could give a triple portion, a triple tithing of my time and energy to paying attention to college football. And that's dangerous because that's me giving it all my attention and all my thoughts. Can you go close the blind right over there? <laughs> I am blind from the sun coming off, whatever that's coming from. All of my attention can, be, can just be consumed if I'm not careful, right? It becomes a, a false worship of idolatry, and it's just college football, right? And it's not necessarily that any of these things are bad. Retirement funds aren't bad. Politics aren't bad. College football isn't bad in and of themselves, but it's when suddenly they, they get our attention more than God. It's suddenly when we've set our heart and our focus on that more than God. It's when we offset God and put these things in God's place. We think more about them. We give more to them. We serve them more than we serve God. In his book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin emphasized uh, the human propensity to create idols. It's just like naturally in us. We are quick to divert our worship to something else and give our devotion to that other thing in place of God. And that's idolatry. Calvin's often quoted, although this is more of a summary of a statement of saying this, the human heart is a factory of idols. The human heart is just manufacturing these things all the time. Can you imagine how dangerous it could be if we truly followed our hearts? The factory of idols and idolatry. What if following your heart was the indicator of what was right and wrong, or following your heart was the indicator of what was true or not true? These very things that will lead us into idolatry, this factory of our idols, what if we gave that our all? Trusting your heart is like trusting the guy selling you oceanfront property in Nebraska. (laughs) Except our heart is untrustworthy and the salesman is Satan. Some of you are saying, come on. That is a great big overreaction, don't you think? You're kind of overreacting here a little bit, Pastor Brian. You don't have to take my word for it. In fact, please don't take my word for it. Look for yourself Go to God's word yourself. Here's a place to start, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Our hearts are idol factories and we'll make idols out of anything. Believe it or not, people even make idols out of preachers, out of Christian doctrine, and even scripture itself. It might be happening even among us. You may be in danger of making an idol out of a preacher when you measure all other preaching against your favorite guy. He becomes the gold standard. Or when you check anything that your favorite preacher says, or excuse me, when you fail to check anything that your favorite preacher says, you don't go to the word, you don't look for yourself, you're just convinced that everything he says is completely right and you never do the Berean work, you know, of looking in the scriptures yourself. They even checked the apostle Paul. Right? When, you're, when you're not doing that, you might be in some danger. Or you might be in danger when you check what other people say against your favorite preacher. Well, the measure of right is if my preacher said this at some point. If my preacher didn't say this at some point, not my preacher like in the church, but my favorite person, right? You might be in danger of this if your preacher is infallible and can do no wrong and never makes any mistakes. 
Now, please, 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 please do not make me your idol. Now, I'm not too worried that you guys are doing that. Because often, our favorite preacher is not the one in which we gather weekly with the saints to worship together. Our favorite preacher is not the one that's in community and covenant with us, serving with us, walking in life with us. Often, when we make an idol of our favorite preacher, it's the one we've never met who's out there that just feeds us on a YouTube thing that we don't know anything about that person except for what we see in that outward image. That is dangerous ground. That's dangerous ground. I also know people who get really caught up on a single doctrine of theology. Uh, this is especially fun in church planting. It, like, it consumes every aspect of their study. Right, just, Everything is about one doctrine, and, and they just sort of forget all the rest of the beauty of God, all the other doctrines that have been given, all the other stuff that's out there right? for just this one little tiny sliver, and they just miss so, so, so much. It'd be like loving your spouse for um, just one very small aspect, like the car they drive, or one meal they cook and missing everything else. And so many people do this. Uh, sometimes it's soteriology, the study of salvation. So it's, it's Calvinism and everything, or anti-Calvinism and everything, and it's just this weird fervor, and every single thing gets morphed into that thing, and, and it's just sort of draining on people. Like, look, there's more to this. That's good study, but there's more we're missing. Or maybe uh, it's about the doctrine of creation. And the sole purpose of people is to convince everyone of the age of the earth. It's really young or it's really old or it's whatever. And, and they just drive into that with everything. And every verse somehow speaks to that. And everything they ever hear speaks into that. And every Christian song speaks into that. Because they've made this doctrine their idol and everything somehow is feeding creation. Or maybe it's a relentless end time study to the point that we're missing everything else about the bride of Christ and the mission of God. Or they've gotten so wrapped up in discipleship, just one aspect of, of how we serve. Or they've gotten so wrapped up in church planting or social justice or overseas mission that they, they forget everything else. Apologetics becomes the one thing, and somehow they cram every single thing into that thing, and they miss all the grandeur and all the beauty and all that God has given us. Those things are important, but they can't be the only sole thing. There's so much more. It can even happen with, with Scripture. I knew a guy who had about a dozen Scriptures memorized. I'm pretty sure they were the only Scriptures he ever read in his Bible. He used them to do apologetic work because he was just constantly thumping on people with those Scriptures to make a point, to deal with a one little aspect issue. He didn't really know anything else about Jesus. He didn't really know anything else about the church. And it was kind of embarrassing, frankly. You're pushing people, hey, come, here's a scripture that will convince you to be a Christian. Okay, tell me more about Christianity. I don't know anything more about Christianity because I've made this one verse my idol. They're not worshiping Christ, they're worshiping the idol. We can even prop up scriptures sometimes in that way. Isn't that just nonsense? But we do it because we have a heart that will make an idol out of anything. And if we don't have an idol around, the heart will go, I can probably step up to the challenge and make an idol out of something I can find. Even some of the best things that God can, has given us can become really unhealthy. And they, beca- they can become idols that rob us from, from loving and worshiping and delighting in God. 
But I think Calvin was right. The heart is a wicked idol factory. So what idols is your idol factory cranking out these days? There's one. There's one. Push that one aside. Oh, here comes another one. Push that one aside. There's another one. What idols is your heart producing today? But wait a minute. So wait a second. (laughs) If... um, If the heart is so wicked, how could Ezra really think and really believe that he could set his heart on God? How did he think he could pull it off? Is that just arrogance? Wait a minute. I'm telling you we should all be doing that. How how does the rest of us think that we we can set our heart? We can tell the factory, stop, and set our heart to know God's word and live it and proclaim it. How do we think we can do that? Well, that's where the gospel of Jesus Christ comes into play. Ezekiel. 36.26 says, we all have a heart of stone. That's the the poetic way, this kind of beautiful way to say what Ephesians 2.1 says a little bit more clearly. It says we are dead in our sin. We are dead in our sin. But Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 5 go on to say this, and I quote, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though... We were dead in our trespasses. You were saved by grace. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 says this. And listen, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. That's the prophecy from Ezekiel. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. It goes on. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. It is by the power of God that Ezekiel could set himself to know and follow and live out the statutes of God. It is by the power of God that we can set our hearts to know and live and follow God. Do you see it? Do you see what's happening here? God had to remove a heart of stone and give us his heart of flesh. In other words, God had to change us from dead idol-making factories to living God-worshippers. God had to do it. How does God do it? Jesus, who was alive and is still alive and was out trespass, traded his life for our death. Then he died on the cross. He died under that penalty of our trespasses where we sinned against God's laws. And then he defeated death altogether, raising from the dead. And now he gives us his life, his heart. A new heart so that we can live for him. So that we can do this. It's not automatic. Jesus says you've got to believe that he was raised from the dead and you have to proclaim that he is Lord of your life, and he will save you. By the way, whether you say he's the Lord of your life or not, he is the Lord. You don't make him the Lord of your life. He is the Lord of your life. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. What Jesus is asking you to do is recognize that he is the Lord and stop fighting him on this one. Say, you know what? It's not me. It's you. He says, if you do that, I'll make the trade with you. I'll save you. 
I'll give you a new heart. You'll be born again and you can serve me. That's what Romans 10, 9 says. So if you've made this trade, you belong to Jesus and you can now set your heart on Christ. It's possible. Because of Jesus, you can set your heart to know, live, and proclaim God's word. So what's stopping you? What's holding you back? What's holding us back? Right? If we're Christians, we should not be okay with a heart that keeps cranking out idols. We should be ferociously assaulting and attacking our idols, anything that keeps us away from and distracts us from truly worshiping and loving and enjoying and delighting in the living God. What's stopping you from doing that? It's time to change the setting. Set your heart on Christ to know him and to live for him and to proclaim his word to the whole world so that you can enjoy him. Here's what that means. Let me give you some handles. To know him. To know him. What do, okay, how am I going to do this? If I walk out of here, what's going to happen? To know him. You need to hear from him. You need to hear from him by hearing from his word that he's given to us. You need to pick up your Bible and start reading it. If you don't know how to do that, we'll help you. Ask. Start in John. That's a great place to get started. You think you'd start at the very beginning. You can do that. But there, let us help you. It's like a library of 66 books. Some books are a good place to start. Others are, would be fine, but it might be a little harder. If you've never read the Bible before in your life, Numbers or Leviticus is probably not your starting spot. <laughs> let us help you. Okay? And, and be here on the Lord's Day to worship with one another and, and to... to hear the preached word and to be in a study class and to sing together and to know the Lord and to fellowship. This is what he instituted so that we can know him better. So be committed to being here instead of being committed where your idols are. Come here. And you also need to talk with him. That's prayer. There are people right now in this prayer room, right over here, they're praying right now. They're talking with God for you for me, for this service, for what's happening. I want to encourage before the service, after the service, go over there. You can pray anywhere you want. But if you go over there, you might actually find other people to pray for, promise on the wall, pray, talk to God. Get in a habit of prayer. That will help you to know him. Read his word, talk with him. To obey him. To obey him is to do the things the word says to do, but you're not going to know what those are unless you read the word. And to not do the things the word says not to do. And that's it. That is not rocket science. This is not complicated stuff. Do what he says to do. Don't do what he doesn't say to do. This isn't the stuff that saves you, but because he saved you, it makes it possible for you to do good. If he's changed your heart, this is how we're supposed to live. Okay, to teach his statutes and proclaim his word. Okay, what's that? That's first learning about God. You've got to learn about it. Then you put it into practice so you have some expertise in the field or at least some experience. You understand. And then simply tell others about what you've read, about what you've experienced, about what you know. Make that proclamation so they can do the same thing. It's not hard. I know you know how to talk about things that excite you because I've heard about all your favorite television shows 
and all your favorite sports teams, and you've all heard from me all about griddling and making up really unhealthy smash burgers. We talk about the things we love. So love Jesus so that you talk about him more than smash burgers and sports and politics and money and all the other stuff. That's all this is. To proclaim him to the world is know him, experience him, tell everybody about it. It's that. It's that. That's it. None of this is hard. This is how God intended for us to live and to flourish and to cherish him and to enjoy him and to delight in him. This is his plan. You want to push away all the crazy and the anxiety and the worry and the stress and the fear the world has to offer? Fill that tank with Jesus Christ and love him and delight in him and rest in him. Find courage in him and comfort in him and hope in him. If you're worried and stressed, get to know God. Starts right there. And if you're getting to know God and you're still stressed, come talk with us because maybe you're making an idol out of something here because you should not be reading his word and being freaked out. He wants to help us in this. This is how we set our hearts to this, to the Lord. Could you... Could you imagine what your life would look like if you were really set on Jesus, like he's asking us to be set on Jesus? If you were really focused on Christ like this, if you really did kill your idols, could you imagine what would look different in your life and what could be different in the life that you could have? Can you imagine what our church could look like if collectively we were doing that? If we were focused on the Lord, if we were pushing out the idols, if we were knowing him and living what he has to say and then proclaiming it, could you imagine what this church would be like? That'd be amazing. I mean, really amazing. I mean, you guys are all pretty amazing now, but with all that and more and more of it, wow, that'd be amazing. And could you imagine what that would do for our community? Could you imagine how that could change our community? What if more people went, man, I'm going to do that. What if more people had their hearts changed? What if more people set themselves to worship the Lord and give themselves to the Lord and know him and live for him and proclaim and it just spread out and spread out and went out? The world that you're so afraid of would have no power against the living God. It starts right here. It starts with us. I would love to see it, wouldn't you? If you're nodding, yes. If you really hope for that, it starts for us today. Set your heart to know, live, and proclaim God's word. And then let's just trust God with the results. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for the brother that has set himself to follow you, regardless of cost, to walk with you, to know you, and is going to proclaim that through baptism today. Lord, I thank you for the people in this church who are loving you and serving you and, and proclaiming who you are, Lord, and I ask that you would equip us and encourage us, those of us who are maybe struggling in an area here, having a hard time finding time, sucked into idols, Lord, kill our idols. Create the the time and the space, the resources. Lord, set us out of what's comfortable into where you're calling us and how you're doing that, that we could live for you because we know you and we could proclaim your holy and good name. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.